is the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen to WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. Now, here's your Canes Corner Podcast host, Adam Gold. It's the first post-vacation week edition of the Canes Corner Podcast, and I have the one and only, the man, John Forsland, uh, back from Pittsburgh. You don't take, you don't get a vacation. You don't want a vacation. You don't approve of vacations, except in the summer in Maine, where all vacations should take place. Uh, you had the Penguins and the uh, the Lightning last night. Uh, real quick assessment of uh, Pittsburgh, who got punked by the Devils the night before, and then turned around and uh, looked a lot different. You know, the, for for about a week, Adam, it's going to be uh, kind of a silly season where you you have no no idea what you're going to see, especially in the first game out of a break. In Tampa Bay's case, they hadn't played since January 19th. Uh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> so here you are, January 30th. You haven't played since the 19th. Right. Two practices plus travel, and they're going to play three games in four nights. So they they actually had a first couple of minutes. They look they look pretty good. Then it just completely went on a hiatus and they paid for their mistakes. They got a little bit better as the game went along and they'll be better moving forward. And they're an elite team. Pittsburgh laid an egg in their first game against New Jersey on Monday night and uh, started to uh, go after their second game. Like it was a playoff game. The attitude around that team in the morning from the coach on down was surly was uh, angry. Uh, They just recognize, sure. They're in a playoff spot, but there's heat below from a couple of teams and they're not too far away from the top of the division either but (laughs) unless they take advantage of this uh, point in your schedule including a game last night where they have an elite team at home um, they're going to be in trouble so they played that way so it's kind of hard to gauge where this is at and it's going to be really hard when the Hurricanes hit the ice Friday night to figure out what they're about after game one because these breaks I'm not a big fan of and uh, I, I don't know how you assess players after they're coming off the beach yeah it's it is it is definitely a weird situation i don't know maybe jordan martinook and we'll get to him in a second will be better off because he's been home changing diapers uh because he is <laughs> he has had a tumultuous last uh last week or so yeah. uh all right, so, so i want to handle a little bit of team stuff before we get into okay. uh the bigger picture uh let's start with the road trip because we haven't spoken since prior to the vancouver game uh so the road trip overall i heard you on with alex before uh, the team went to Western Canada, and you thought four points. I mean, maybe I'm more bullish. I actually thought six was something they needed to go go after. Uh, I thought they played out of nine periods. I thought they played eight really good ones, uh, some better than others, but I thought they were really good except for the third period at Calgary. Ended up with five out of six points. That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, six is what they needed. The six is definitely what they needed, and uh my thought was, boy, in, in three games and four nights going all the way out there, it's going to be hard to, to get four points. And if right. they get four points, they should be happy with that. But five is a bonus. They played great. They, they, it's unfortunate the break came when it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they, were, they were clicking, and, and, and they had a newfound confidence. And they're getting scoring from the back end. And, and Hamilton played two of the best games he's played as a yeah. Hurricane. 
and, and the goaltending was solid. And, and, and Nadelkovic gets a chance to get his feet wet in the National Hockey League and played very well. So there's so many great things, but it, it's it's like ancient history because so much right. time has, has passed. So they get together and they have some type of a practice on Thursday, and then they play Friday night, and then they get on with their schedule. But the good news for the Hurricanes now is that they close the gap a little bit. Um, depending on what happens Thursday night, they could be anywhere from five to, uh, you know, seven, eight points out again. But they do have head-to-head matchups, you know, on the horizon mm-hmm. with Pittsburgh and Buffalo and so on. So they put themselves in a spot to at least make a difference here in the, the weeks that lead up to the trading deadline. So it should be fun to watch. John Forslund with us here on the Canes Corner Podcast. All right, individually speaking, uh, and you you mentioned both of these players already. Uh, let's start with Alex Nedeljkovic, who played in Vancouver. And frankly, I thought that uh, they could have gone, and I think we talked about this, they could have gone back to Mrazek, who wasn't overly taxed, and travel is you know, obviously minimal from Calgary to Vancouver. They could have gone back to uh, Mrazek, but they gave Nedeljkovic a start. I was, I mean, to put it mildly, I was impressed. Uh, I thought the best thing he did was he didn't look like the moment was too uh, overwhelming for him. I thought he was confident with the puck. I thought he made some big saves, showed some athleticism. He's, he's a little guy, uh, but he showed a lot of athleticism, and I, I I liked what I saw from your vantage point. What did we see? Well, I, I, I everything you said, obviously I would agree with, but I want to go to your first point you made about his game. He was confident with the puck. And sometimes when you get a, a rookie goalie in his, in his first game at the NHL level, you don't necessarily have to look at the first save. You have to look at the first stoppage mm-hmm. or the first time he handles the puck. And the first time he handled the puck in the first period, I said to myself, he's going to be okay. He, he was confident. He made the right choice. It was with authority. We know that he handles the puck well. I mean, he's been trying to score goals for three <laughs> years in the, in the minor pro level. So, And he has one. Right. So um, he, he, he enjoys that aspect of, of, of the game. Uh, the book on, on Alex and, and moving forward will be this. From what everybody tells me, scouts that watched him and certainly Mike Bellucci, who it's like a, like a second son right. because he had him in junior hockey at Plymouth and drafted him in the second round and so on, that they say that he knows how to win. And, you know, his save percentage this year in the American Hockey League is okay. It's not 92-plus. Right. It's in the 90s. He leads the league and wins. He has a great team in front of him. So, but they say that he can play in a 5-4 game and and when it gets down to the end, you need the big save. He'll make two or three great saves, preserve the victory, and move forward. If he has that trait, that could compute to the NHL, and he could really feed off of that moving forward. I still think you know he's going to have to you know season a little bit more. I'm not 100% sure that he's ready to go next year, but it'll be a big step for him in training camp. But I certainly think they've figured out a couple things about him to get here where he struggled in his first year as a pro. In the last two seasons, I think the Hurricanes management can look at him and say, we definitely have a two. Right. Should have a number two for the NHL with this player and maybe better. And based on his competitive nature and his winning nature, you know, maybe you get there. But, uh, you know, he, he's not Carter Hart. He's he's not a phenom like, like the Flyers have in a 20-year-old goalie who – who basically played two months in the American League after dominating junior hockey and now is the savior of a franchise. I don't think they're going to be able to go there with him next season. 
but it might end up there someday, just based on his makeup. I look. I I I liked what I saw, and it oh, it certainly opened some doors. The other guy yeah. that you mentioned was Dougie Hamilton. Like I I know. Look, D- Dougie has struggled with the transition from uh, Calgary last year, different system to what Carolina is asking him to do, and maybe playing with Jacob Slavin early wasn't the right thing, uh, but. He came back to Slavin as Rod Brindamore changed the defensive pairings as much as anything. It was interesting to see how he jumbled around the defensive pairings as well. And, I mean, you, you said it. Hamilton was spectacular. That's mm-hmm. the that's the dynamic player that Carolina uh, was trading for. I mean, he was he was he was great in his own end. I thought the best thing he did was uh, defend a two on one brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, look, so. Are we going to get that, Dougie? <laughs> I'd like that, Dougie Hamilton. <laughs> it's hard to answer that, you know, based on what we've seen. But, you know me, I, I don't like to revise history. And I like the trade when it happened. And I like the trade all summer. I like the trade going into training camp. And then as the season went along, you're like, oh, my God, what, what happened here? Um, you know, Hamilton averaged most of the time to below, um, playing his way out of a top tandem to the third pair. Um, not being able to resurrect a power play for the lion's share of the season, which should be right in his wheelhouse. Um, and the other two guys go to Calgary and are lights out. Mm-hmm. So, and the team is. So then you're thinking, wow, this this could really you know bite the Hurricanes at the end of it. I still, in my mind, I still think Hamilton is a difference maker in the National Hockey League. Yeah. And not many players are. Okay? Uh, with all due respect to Noah Hannafin, I'm not 100% sure he's going to be a difference maker. He's going to be a contributor and a good one and is, and he's a top four defenseman right now. But will he be able to take the next step, which offensively Hamilton has proven he can already do, and he just needs to to, to bring it on a consistent basis. And, and maybe the, the internal demotion, where, however you want to look at it, when he was pushed down the ladder, maybe that woke him up a little bit. He's got to be aware of what's being said about him around the league as a possible trade target. Yeah. Whatever the case, he was motivated on that trip and played that way. And if he can continue to do that, I think he's a player they almost have to hang on to because he's affordable. They have him locked up for a few more years, and you're just not going to find it. If you end up moving that guy, it's hard to replace that, no matter what Adam Fox becomes. It's it's really hard to, right. to go out and, and replace it. So um, it was great to see him play with confidence, as you point out, defensively too, which was as stellar as some of the things he did with the puck. Yeah, I mean, really, that that's the thing that jumped that stood out to me because we've seen good offensive Dougie Hamilton all year. We haven't seen the other side, uh, and I know Rod Brindamore probably uh, went to sleep at night thinking about that even more so than the offense. Uh, one more newcomer, and then I want to hit the two contracts and then we'll go back to some other things uh nino niederreiter has i i mean he certainly made a very good first impression after the first game against ottawa where broad brindamore said he wanted to apologize to nino for not showing him the real hurricanes uh niederreiter has been dynamite he's got four goals two in two different games at edmonton and then in vancouver uh and they've needed goal scoring they've needed a big body he goes to the front of the net he's shown some strength uh he fits in very nicely he does because the slot's right. So he comes to a new team, which initially was a shock to him. 
but he comes to this team and he recognizes if I if I get to my game, I'm going to get an opportunity to really play. Mm-hmm. And and right now being slotted next to Aho, if they hang with it, it's a great fit because he can skate. He knows how to finish. And in Minnesota, it wasn't working with either Koivu or Stahl. And so those are the two centers that get into the top top six. It never works. So he was already slotted as a top nine or worse mm-hmm. and just in a rut. So the, the quote-unquote change of scenery has really paid off for this player in the small sample. But I, I think that he understands the possibilities. And so there's a gleam in his eye when you're around the team and now that the team has come home, you'll be able to get around him more. You'll see how much he enjoys it. Um, he, he likes his team already. He, he's a really, really good person. And um, he's going to fit in on anybody's team. But I think when you really see the possibilities as a pro, you know, I can make good on this contract and beyond. This might be a really good situation for me because they traded for me. They want me. <laughs> and now I'm playing with one of the best players in the world youngest one of the great young players in the world right so that that is a, a bonus for him right now and it seems like they have good chemistry yeah there's no question he was playing with Aho and Justin Williams uh in an interesting top line and we'll see what uh, what happens it's been so long so who even knows uh and for m- much of the road trip really for all of it except a period and a half they played with seven fo- with 11 forwards so yeah. things were changing constantly which I don't hate, and I know the team recalled Hayden Fleury, so I don't know what the status is with Michael Furlan. We know that Jordan Stahl probably isn't coming back anytime soon. Uh, but So we don't know if they're going to play with 11 forwards again. But again, I didn't hate that. Uh, and I know the players don't mind because you get out there uh, a lot more often. All right, the two contracts that were signed. Tavo Teravainen gets uh, five five times 5.4 annual value, 27 million total. Uh, Jordan Martinuk two times two exactly. Um, I, for for different reasons, I really liked both of these signings. I think right. the Teravainen signing was fair, uh, and I think he can even take another step uh, beyond where he's been. And then the contract looks great for Carolina. But I want to start with Martinuk, who I think. I don't know, two million dollars, whatever. I think you're buying, you're buying leadership and an incredible presence in the locker room. He reminds me in that way of Kevin Adams, but I'm just biased because I like Kevin so much. Uh, but I really liked what they did with Jordan. Yeah, and I and I think we'll start with him. I I, I think because he's like a foundation guy, so you should start with the foundation of the house. So you have to have, you know, somebody that, you know, is your, your glue guy, your, your player that, um, you know, regardless of where he plays in the lineup, he has a, he has a strong presence in the locker room, really good with young players. Most importantly, what kind of impact does he have on the team, you know, when they get out there and um, the bite that he's brought to the lineup, the penalty killing um, versatility where he's been able to, uh, you know, move around uh, position to position. It's, it's all been good. Um, but, but, but I think he's also smart. He's also smart to recognize I got a chance here to sign a, a two-year deal at a fair price because I like it, it where I'm at. And, and I think that's very important. So that's a, the, the hidden thing in the Martinuk signing is that you can point to a player who probably could have put himself on the market if he wanted to mm-hmm. and maybe squeezed out a little extra money. Um, but it might not have been the great fit for him and uh, certainly not for the team. So that's a, that's a plus. When players want to stay, that's always a good thing. 
And then you get to Tara Vinen, who when you compare him to other players in the same ilk and the same price tag, which you have to do today. I, I don't really like doing it because um, I don't think fans need to care about that. They need to care about the product and whether right. they win or not. Um, and it, it, it really doesn't matter. If you're winning and uh, uh, you're a cap team, then that's the owner's problem. And I don't think fans need to worry about that. And if you're you're losing and you're not spending a lot of money, they can worry about it. Or if you're not spending a lot of money as an owner and you are winning, then fans don't really concern themselves with that either. But are the Hurricanes a better team moving forward with Tara Vinen? Of course they are because he's a point producer. And those guys are tough to find. And I think uh, his makeup has taken a little bit of a turn this season for the better. Um, he's hardened up a little bit. He, he's been an effective penalty killer. Natural chemistry with Ajo, whether he's on his line or, mm -hmm. or not. But at some point over the course of the term of this contract for both players, they're going to play together anyway. They're always going to get reunited. And they might stay together for a long time on a line or the coach, whoever it is, uh, hopefully it's Rod for a long period of time, will be able to move them, um, you know, on different lines to help the team. But at 5'4", that's a, that's a good price uh, for that type of player who can get too close to a point of game. And um, they're, they're hard to find, too. So you have to um, define roles and sign players accordingly to the roles, and I think that's what they were able to do. And it's really good that they can get to it now. Uh, that just says that there, there's something happening within the room that the players want to stay here, and, and that's a really good sign. Do you, do you read anything into the fact, because Teravon and Ajo were, uh, they were not often together in terms of being on the same line on this road trip uh, as Rod really uh, jumbled everything up. Uh, but they combined for two goals and nine assists in three games. And a lot of that was in, you know, w without each other, you know, without being next mm -hmm. to each other. I mm -hmm. mean, I kind of thought that was a good sign. Well, it is a good sign because they can get spread out through the lineup and, and contribute. And then within a game, like we saw in Calgary, when it's sixth attacker, they can be together <laughs> yeah. and they can connect for a big goal. And then power plays, they can connect for big goal. Uh, so you don't necessarily always have to be at five on five with 20 and 86, but you know, maybe the team can find better balance if they are separated for the time being. But again, it's, it's hip pocket material for a coach. It's something you got in your back pocket that you can go to and say, all right, my, my team's not working right now. I'm going to write them down on, on the pad here, and I'm going to start by putting 20 and 86 together, and I'm going to go from there. When you have built-in combinations, it always helps. Um, you know, years ago when Babcock was coaching in Detroit, and he would do that with Datsuk and Zetterberg. And they'd be moved around, and then all of a sudden – They'd have to get on the line together, and then he has a, he has a magical combo, and you kind of you kind of mm -hmm. go in that direction. So um, it, it, it's it's a really good signing, and I think hopefully that's going to lead the way for the bigger deal with Aho and uh, other decisions they have to make. Well, let's, let's let's look at the conference here for a second. John Forzen here on the Canes Corner podcast. Uh, I've for the last two or three weeks, I've kind of been focused on really just uh, one spot in the uh in the standings that Carolina could go after and that spot uh was Montreal and they seem to have run away a little bit. Um right now Carolina's four points over NHL five hundred. They're uh you know a couple of spots out of a wild card spot. Buffalo's still ahead of him, although Buffalo's only two points ahead of him now as they've kind of come back to earth. But between Columbus, who plays in Winnipeg Thursday night, 
and Boston, who hosts Philadelphia on Thursday night. Those are the two wild card. Uh, basically, Columbus, Boston, Montreal, Washington, and Pittsburgh are all the same in terms of being 10 points over NHL 500. Of those teams, which do you think is most vulnerable to be caught by with Carolina or Buffalo, but by Carolina? Maybe Columbus, and, and I would I would still think Montreal. To a to, they could have a dip, but they haven't proven it. They haven't proven that they're going in that direction. They've done a remarkable job, and you know that's a that's a team that no one expected to be in right. anybody's group of eight, and they are. So say say we leave them where they're at. You leave Boston where they're at. Um, Pittsburgh, you know they're going to make a trade. And they already have a pretty good, decent team, obviously. But <laughs> right. they're they're that the the old general manager that we know is is circling oh, the wagons yeah. right now. He's making some kind of deal. So, and, and I think a lot of these teams are. But the the team that's going to make deals probably, and that could be a huge distraction is Columbus, because one of their best players they have to make a decision on. Yep. And and the goalie. And those are two guys you don't want to have issues with. Whether it turns out to be positive or not, I would think it has to have an effect on the team. So whatever they do with Artemi Panarin, they keep him and, and, and try to go as far as they can and end up losing him for nothing. I don't, I don't think they want to go down that road. If they trade him, you know, what kind of an effect does it have on the team? And the same thing with Bobrovsky. They're probably not going to be able to deal him. They're probably going to have to live with him. Right. He doesn't have a great playoff record anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Tortorella has a lot of faith in him no. in his second season stuff. So there's some cloudy issues around Columbus. Columbus could be a team, and they they got a big game tonight in Winnipeg. Yeah. And and so they, they have to figure this out. And um, I'm not 100% sold that, the, that they will. Um, you know, there's a lot of ground to make up still. The head-to-heads are going to be really important for the Hurricanes. Um, Buffalo's a decent team, um, you know. So there, there, there's a lot of things that have to happen. And Philadelphia is is pushing now. They won five in a row. <laughs> they're making they're making some deals though, because I don't think I think they're in too much of a hole. I right. don't think they can pull this off because, and the Hurricanes to a degree too are in the Hamburglar spot where you almost have to go like Ottawa did a few years ago, where you, you, you go like 21-2, and two, yeah. uh, some crazy record uh, historical proportion, just to make up four or five points. It's, it's that difficult. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we saw Carolina uh, won seven of eight and essentially gained a point. Right. <laughs> over over that stretch, then you you eventually run out of time, right? right? You, you and and when you lose two in a row, uh, all of a sudden you go, we did nothing. Wait a second, right. we we literally have done nothing. Uh, yeah, and so I mean, this set the seven games coming out of the break. Uh, they will play seven games in twelve days, starting uh, Friday against Vegas, uh, and then Sunday against Calgary. Then as a five game uh, road swing, all in the Eastern Conference. Some against really good teams, some against. Uh, you know, there are no bad teams really in the NHL. Uh, so they, they play the Devils. They also have that that trip February 8th. I think we all circled that to Madison Square Garden where maybe right. they can uh, get rid of that hex. Um, but if I, I, I was listening to, I think it was Pierre Lebrun and uh, Scott Burnside on The Athletic, they do, a, uh, they do a podcast. And they were talking about if you're Columbus, forget about Bobrovsky for a second. If you're Columbus and you're going to trade Panarin, 
you it, it's hard to do and and basically tell your team we're giving away one of our best offensive players um, yeah. because you're still trying to win unless you get a really good offensive player back. Um, why not just keep Panarin and deal with Panarin leaving at the end of the season because they have a really good offensive team when they have Panarin. I would say the same thing for Carolina if in two weeks they're you know at or even inside the playoff line. I think general managers, once they get into that spot, um, recognize they have a they have an elite player. Just in Panarin's case, right? They have an, they have an elite player, and they're not going to go anywhere with that player. And and then they have to answer answer the next question: How far are we going to go anyway? Okay. So, you know, do we do we have enough with Panarin to win the Stanley Cup? And they have to be honest with themselves: Do we have enough to win one round, which they haven't been able to do as a franchise? Never, They've never won a playoff. Ama- amazing. Isn't that something? Yep. So. Uh, you know that those questions have to be answered, and then you get to what what are you going to do? Because you don't want to be the general manager that has to have the one-on-one with the owner, and then the owner says to you, "We just let this guy walk, and we got swept out of the first round, and we have nothing, and we're going to be worse mm-hmm. next year." So these GMs are always dealing off a five-year, I think, a five-year moving forward window. And so they want to know, you know, maybe by dealing Panarin, uh, we can really kill two birds. We can we can stay where we're at and either lose in the first round or find some mm-hmm. cheap speed and have a great run and be better next season because we're not going to have the guy. Right. And so that's – they almost – I think they have to get him out of there because I don't think he's fully vested either. I mean, do you want to get to the spring – and I, you know, I, I think he's a pretty good guy from what I what I hear. But do you want to get to the spring? He has no contract, and then his head's over overseas because he wants to go play in the World Championships. Right. I mean, it happens, and and sometimes that becomes, especially for the Russians, that becomes a bigger thing than one round of the playoffs. And then he's saying bye bye to the free vodka and everything else in Columbus, and <laughs> he's back over the real stuff over in Russia. So you know, I think that's what they. The general manager has to do with with an elite guy who says no to you. You know, that it'd be mm-hmm. like uh, that's what you don't want to have happen. That's why getting back to previous questions, when players are saying yes, I want to sign up, no matter whether it's a two million dollar a year guy, a five and a half million dollar a year guy, or maybe Aho's case, eight to ten million a year. <laughs> those guys, when they say yes, that's a big thing. But when a prime time guy says no to you contractually. After all they've done, they traded for him. He's a big part of their team. They'd love to have him, but it's not going to work. And who knows what the specifics are? Then I think you have to you have to play your chip and 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 build your assets again. All right, let's let, let, let let's have that same conversation about the Hurricanes and Michael Furlan. Um, we all know he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, and he is basically he's going to go into free agency because at 26 years old. Uh, he's. This is basically his only chance uh, at a big contract. So I totally understand and respect why he might go. Uh, and Tom Dundon is uh, not inclined to buy him away from free agency with a big deal. Um, I just just know that from conversations. That's not. That is not going to happen. But if you're Carolina and making the playoffs is a bigger deal than Columbus making the playoffs, and you get to February 25th. 
and let's say the next you know two weeks go really well for Carolina, uh, or the next three weeks go really well for Carolina, and they're two points inside the line, do, does your plan almost have to change? Because theoretically, he's part of the reason why you got inside the playoff line. Of course, he's hurt now, so hopefully he'll be able to come back and contribute. But if all of those things happen, does it change your focus? Only It only changes your focus if you have every intention of signing the player. And if you have every intention of giving him whatever his demands are. So say his demands are Tom Wilson money, for argument's sake, say it's in the neighborhood of between five and six million a year, and he wants a five-year deal, and he's 26. If you think that that's worth the investment, and there's there's no red flags anywhere, and we'll, we'll get to those. Right. But if you think that you can win, and I'm saying win, like go deep, not just qualify and make it, then you you sign him and you give him what he wants because he's made the team better. Mm-hmm. He's made the team harder. He's a wonderful guy. Yeah. He's a gamer um, in, in terms of how he plays when he plays. But the problem is when he plays and some of the health issues he's had and the consistency. You see, so it's not, it's not a fair comparison when we're talking about a Panarin because a Panarin is a built-in right. point producer. Yeah. It's like a home run hitter. You know what it is. You plug the number in. It's annual. You have a track record. With Michael Furland, you don't have a track record. You have a career season last year playing on an outstanding line. And Elias Lindholm has proven that you can go on the line with a better skill set and look at, and he's in a, a star status this season. <laughs> right. And, and Furland went dry. They had to bump him off that line, and he went dry goal scoring for a long stretch last year, kind of led to where they, where they went with him in terms of the trade, and now, and now he comes to the Hurricanes. If the return for Michael Furland is a first-round pick, which many people around the league are saying that'll be part of the package, mm-hmm. if it is a player who can play right now and has potential to be a contributor moving forward, you make the deal with whoever it is because I still think they could make the playoffs. And then you have something for the future, Right, and you still get in, and and if they make the playoffs, you have two weeks of, uh, you know, if they get the second wild card, they're playing. They're playing who? Tampa Bay Lightning. Right. <laughs> How long's that going to last? Let's be fair. <laughs> right. So I think that's uh, aside from a Herculean uh, upset, it isn't going to happen. It's going to be ten days of playoff action, right? And that'll be a good step for the team. But I think it can be accomplished with or without Furland. Unless they believe, they being the management, believe that Furland is is got to be part of the core moving forward. I think they've already made up for the goal scoring that they would get out of Furland if they believe he's a perennial 20-goal guy. I'm not sure that he is, but if they believe that, Niederreiter should be. Right. Because Niederreiter already has done that for three years and is paid accordingly. And you've got a $5 million winger who's a better skater and is, is more skilled. Now... If they lose Furlan, I still believe they're going to have to go out and acquire something like him from a physical standpoint mm-hmm. for next season. You know, I still think they, they the bite that they received from this guy was impactful, and um, they need it. If you're in the same division with a Tom Wilson, yep. you, you need somebody that can at least physically stand up to him, not play the total game Wilson can, but at least be a combatant in those games. The... Um... 
the Maple Leafs acquired Jake Muzzin from the LA Kings. And uh, everything I read and hear is that uh, they think that they're done. Uh, so that takes away the most logical landing point for one of Carolina's right shot defensemen because uh, Toronto needed one. Even though Muzzin is a left shot, uh, they, they're playing him uh, on the top uh, on the top line with, uh, I guess, Morgan Riley. So they're going to yeah. play him on the top pairing just on his off offside. Um, so with Toronto out of the mix, so to speak, I mean, Carolina still got to try and move a right defenseman because they do want Adam Fox signed and on the ice in the NHL as the enticement to signing him. Um, who's most likely to go and who are the interested parties? Is it is there somebody in the West? Does Colorado need uh, a right defenseman? Does... Well, San Jose probably probably doesn't, but who else might need a right defenseman? I wouldn't count Toronto out, even though they made the deal for Muzzin. Um, and I know you're absolutely right. They want to play him on his offside. He never played the offside in Los Angeles. You know, they had a hard time moving him over on the on the, uh, on the right side. It right. was Alec Martinez who had to jump over there and play, you know, on the offside um, in their in their heyday. So um, they might still uh, be looking for one more piece. And it would be a right-handed shot for sure because their their coach is in love with the righty-lefty right. situations. You know, he's the the father to Bill Peters, right? So I mean, <laughs> that's that's where uh, and a lot of coaches, you know, DeBoer is the same way in San Jose. Many of them feel the same way about the righty-lefty deal on defense. So um, I wouldn't count them out. There uh, there's still a market for the Hurricanes to to do that if they can get a really really good goal scoring winger that's a top six guy another guy then I would entertain a movement uh, of Hamilton and I Pesci's names are being thrown around the league although I don't think the Hurricanes would like to part with that player Um, he's so steady and so affordable Mm -hmm. Um, you know he's built in for years that's a really good contract that's about as team friendly a deal for a guy that can play in your top four um, as any you'll find so, and then Slavin's basically an untouchable back there. So, um, you've got Falk, Hamilton, and Pesci. You know, those are the three chips. Um, who's interested in who? Um, I think if they have the ability to to get a guy who can uh, come in here and provide more uh, scoring and, and kind of supplement what they have in the in the top six, not just a guy that can right. get in the nine, but a, a real deal winger, then you trade a real deal defenseman, and that's basically what they're they're tabling if they do uh, elect to make a move there is moving one of those three righties. Yeah, the other the other thing that when you look at what the Hurricanes, depending on where they are in the standings, I mean, I could see a lot of guys. I mean, uh, as much as he has become sort of a favorite, I could see I could see Brock McGinn uh, yeah. having his name, uh, yeah. you know, uh, listed on TSN uh, come mm-hmm. trade deadline day, or even Trevor Van Riemsdyk, who's playing his offside. There's a lot of options, not to mention a goaltender, whether it's Curtis McElhinney or Peter Morazic could also be part uh, of, a, of a deal as Carolina's, you know, we know they're getting younger and there are prospects sort of coming up. Jake Bean's playing much better in the minors, but probably needs at least another year of seasoning down there. But there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that could happen in the next three weeks. Yeah, and, and I really think that a lot of these philosophies or decisions or philosophies that lead to decisions have already been made. And once you make them, once you get in the, the room and they have these meetings and, and scouting meetings, managerial meetings, and you decide what the potential is for your team, real potential, 
then you've already committed to to making deals. So this has been a nice little run prior to the break, which has put them in some more of a relevant spot. And maybe the next segment here that we've talked about, the the home games and then the road trip, will really determine what they're going to do. But I almost think they have to do whatever they're going to do regardless of what yeah. happens because we're, we're, we're again talking about the spring and the possibility of getting in and maybe just getting in. And if you just get in, then you play the best team in the league. And um, if you have an opportunity to further enhance what they're already on their way to here, because I think it's fair to say the hurricanes have made some serious strides this year. Yeah. Uh, positive strides. It's not one of these Februaries where it's a mess. And, you know, it's uh, wholesale moves and everybody's uh, being thrown around and you've got to pedal guys because there's no hope. I don't think it's going to be that. And I think there is a definite eye on on the future and uh, they have an opportunity to get active here. And I and I get by gauging the way things have gone and just from the top down, the direction and the the uh, the managerial kind of direction that they have from the owner on down. I think they're going to be wild cards in this. I think they might really get active, and it could be very interesting. Oh, there's there are a lot of a lot of pieces to uh, to move around. Final thing, uh, if it was up to you, would Martin Natchez be up here and finish out the season? Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I still hold out some uh, hope that'll happen. Uh, probably after the deadline now, right and. You know, I'm, I'm not a, well-versed on the games played and the contract situation, <laughs> the future expansion draft and all of that. I just like to see him get in here and, um, and, and, and play, play his natural position just to see where that's at going into his training camp next year. So, yes, I, I think that would be a, an interesting look, you know, for the Hurricanes. And mm-hmm. then uh, uh, they can make some decisions, you know, down the stretch and then in the next season based on uh, whatever they see out of that player. But I think that's a possibility. John Forsland, uh, thank you much. Uh, I know you didn't want a vacation. You didn't get one. Uh, the no. grind the grind continues Friday night. Uh, by the way, Patriots or Rams in the Super Bowl? Um, I always go with um, what I've gone by in, in years past, alphabetical order. So I'm taking Patriots over the Rams. <laughs> That's outstanding. Yeah. Uh, all right, sir. We'll talk to you on the radio. Thank okay. you. Take care, Adam. That's this week's Kane's Corner with Adam Gold. Download or subscribe to our podcast every Monday during the Carolina hurricane season in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen at WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. And don't forget, for the latest Canes coverage, log on to WRALsportsfan.com. Every game on the Canes Radio Flagship, 99.9 The Fan.